Welcome to the Scaling New Heights podcast, a program for accountants and bookkeepers who seek to scale new heights in their practices and guide their clients to scale new heights in their businesses. My name is Joe Woodard, and I am joined today by my good friend, Mike Michalowicz. Now, Mike is an author, entrepreneur, and lecturer. He's spoken many times on the main stage of Scaling New Heights, and he is the author of five business books, including Fix This Next. That's his most recent book, and that's the one we'll be talking with him about today. Clockwork, Profit First, Surge, and The Pumpkin Plan. And it all got kicked off with a strangely named book called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur back in 2008. So he has been very busy over the last decade or so, writing books all around the goal of transforming small businesses. And his books make great toolkits for you as an accountant and bookkeeper to transform your clients in very specific ways, including, it seems like, understanding what is the best thing to fix with your clients next. So let's see what Mike has to say about that by bringing him in right now. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Joe, thank you for having me. It's always a joy to connect with you. Well, I know this new book is making quite the splash, and that is what we're here to talk about. So I'm just going to jump right in. What is the thesis of Fixed This Next? You know, it was interesting. So I started writing this book five years ago, and uh, I sent a survey out to my readership, and I said, what's your biggest challenge now? Because I wanted to tackle that. And uh, we accidentally sent the request out twice in the same day. Well, wouldn't you know it, the same people answered the survey twice with different answers. And uh, it became very apparent that the biggest challenge business owners face is knowing what their biggest challenge is. And today, you know, as we're recording this with COVID and, and the economic crisis, the major challenges we're facing, there's this macro crisis that's causing micro crisis in business. And businesses are floundering trying to do everything when we need to do the right thing, the one right thing. That's what this book's about. And, and so if, if somebody's going to fix this next, it's kind of uh, knowing what a, the right measurement is then and how that might fit your industry, your business model. Do you, does the book focus on maybe their unique organizational goals and their vision? Yeah, kind of. Um, but here's what I found. It's interesting is there is a common DNA for all business. Kind of like if you take two humans, uh, totally on the outside, different, different skin color, different voice, different height, different weight, different gender you peel back the skin as draconian as that sounds and you look at the biology of humanity it's identical like if you or i went to the hospital for cardiac arrest the doctor wouldn't say you know mike where, where do you store your foot is it, uh, your ear heart is it in your foot <laughs> you know you know like everything's in the same spot so right. when we look in the essence of business the makeup the core makeup of business is the same it's just the outside skin that's different so this book tackles the core biology of business I see. So, so to put this in doctor terms, you're a surgeon, right? You're a surgeon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly. And, and that means you're dealing with the fundamentals that are general to all businesses. And that, and that is fantastic. So um, in the book, you have this concept called the uh, survival trap. What yeah. is that? Yeah, it's a good illustration, I think, of why businesses stay stuck and hit these ceilings or get caught off guard and, and have a sudden collapse and they couldn't anticipate. And it's illustrated by doing this and you can do this in your head or if you have a piece of paper, it's even more impactful, but just three steps. Draw the letter A in your mind or on that paper in the center of the piece of paper and put a circle around it. 
And what that A represents is where we are now. And uh, for many businesses right now, it's, it's crisis or challenge. So that's your current challenge. Step two is draw an arrow away from A. And you can draw in any direction you choose, just a short distance, but draw it away from A. And what the arrow represents is a choice that you can make that gets you out of your challenge or crisis, giving immediate relief. But now you can draw another arrow, and you should, in any other direction you choose away from A. And you'll see that also gets you out of crisis, but puts you in a new spot. And you can do this five or six times or as many times as you want, arrows in different directions. That's step two. Step three, draw the letter B and put a circle around it in the bottom left corner of that paper. And what I suspect without seeing what people did, I strongly suspect few of those arrows or maybe none of those arrows are pointing toward B. What B is, is the vital need that your business has. It's the one thing that you need to do to move your business forward most effectively. But we often don't consider that. We're in survival mode. We're trying to escape the crisis of the moment, so we just take an action in any direction. And what happens, Joe, is we get this temporary relief in the moment in the, with the trade-off of being long-term agony. So what I teach in Profit First is when we are, whatever moment we are in today, we first need to get clarity very quickly, but we need to get clarity on what the vital need is for the business, point B. Then we've defined the channel, the direction to go in. Now when we take actions that get us out of crisis, they're also, and most importantly, moving us toward the resolution that our business needs. And do you find that entrepreneurs can do this on their own, or do you think that they are in their natural state stuck in this survival trap? I think business owners can do on their own to a certain degree. We, we do get stuck in our own bias and emotion. Um, I've done this countless times. I, I hire an employee and the need for my business really is to remove that employee because they're not productive. They're actually hurting the business, but I have this moral or this emotional attachment to them. I mean, they've been here for so long and they need me and I made this hire. Maybe I can find somewhere else for them to work in the organization, even though they're not fit for the organization. So we do get caught up in our emotion. And what I teach in Fix This Next is that while we can evaluate our business, it's the instinct that, that causes the danger. And if we try to trust our gut or instinct, we start actually placating to emotion. We need to evaluate the empirical data behind uh, the needs of the business because data doesn't lie. The numbers and the facts don't lie. We need to look at those to get clarity on what action to take. And a lot of times that requires then an objective party, say, for example, totally. a small business advisor, right? They should be totally. reading your and, book. And you won't be and... surprised. You won't be surprised, Joe. We, we have an organization. We call it Fix This Next Advisors. We just introduced the, the organization, but we've been training 175 folks in this process. So they're ready, rip-roaring, ready to go and support people. And uh, to your point, they're like trainers at a gym. It's not your body they're working out but they know how to work out your body. So they hold you accountable and they give you the right direction to take without injuring yourself. Yeah, love that, love that. Because I'm all about the advisor getting involved. That's our vision over here to transform small business through small business advisors. And as much as your book is a very practical tool, because that's what the profession lacks is practical tools. It's so good to know that you've got a roadmap there to take care of this survival trap. Um, and, and really to fix, I guess, anything that's next. Because once you fix one thing, <laughs> something next. It's it's the next a, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a perpetual book title, right? So yep. um, what is our perpetually applicable? So what is the, the, the business hierarchy of needs as you define it? Because you have a little bit of a twist on it compared to Maslow's. That's correct. So, and that's where I started was I really did a deep dive into Maslow and 
just to, to be speaking from the same baseline in regard to Maslow, Maslow argued that when it comes to human needs, that there's five foundational needs, but they, they work in conjunction. In fact, they work as a hierarchy, hence the name. And foundationally, or the most base level, is the physiological needs of humanity, food, water, air. And if those are not satisfied, we will biologically and immediately revert to addressing those. The level above it is safety, uh, like safety, for shelter, protection from harm. And you go all the way up to self-actualization. Well, I live in the Northeast here. And um, if, if I'm outside in a t-shirt and we're experiencing a harsh winter, this year was mild, but if it's a harsh winter and sub-zero temperatures are coming in, I will immediately seek shelter because I know biologically that I'll experience hypothermia. It will kill me. But if someone puts a plastic bag over my head and wraps duct tape around it, and I am in New Jersey after all, so that's possible. <laughs> if someone does that. I just um, want to, for the record, I'm telling them up. We've had skinning people and now strangling them with a plastic right, right. bag. So, okay, all right, just, just going to see how many more of these you have in the hopper. All right, go ahead, Mike. If someone does that, I, what I'll do is I'll immediately revert to the most base level physiological need, which is oxygen. I will tear that mask or that plastic bag to tear it open. Only once I have done that and I'm breathing again, then do I seek shelter. Well, the business hierarchy of needs is foundationally or functionally the same, that there's certain levels our business needs satisfied in order for us to care for that business. And it always starts at the base and it works its way up. There is one critical difference, and we already touched on it. Maslow's hierarchy, we are biologically wired into ourselves. I biologically and neurologically know when there's something wrong. I can't breathe. My safety's, you know, if you and I are walking down a dark alley and we get the sensation that something's wrong here, we better turn around and walk out. We probably will be assaulted or something like that. It's our senses that trigger that and causes instinct and emotion. In our business, though, we are not biologically wired into our business, yet many business owners say, I'm simply going to trust my gut. I, I can feel this. I need to take on a major loan right now, or I need to sell my way out of this. But we need to back that emotion. Maybe it's a beacon. But we need to back it with empirical data. The five levels of the business hierarchy of needs are this. The base level of every business is sales. We need sales because it's the creation of cash. It's the oxygen for a business. No cash, no sales. That means you're suffocating. But the level, excuse me, immediately above that is profit. Profit is the creation of stability. It's the runway for an organization. And um, you can have all the sales in the world you want, but if you don't have profitability and retention of cash, your business is on shaky ground. In fact, um, I have one friend, it's sad, he had a $250 million business. It is uh, uh, awe-inspiring. He had hundreds and hundreds of employees, but they hadn't mastered the second level of profitability. And they had one major project that went awry and uh, they had to declare bankruptcy. And um, that, that's a tough journey for them to navigate. And it's because they weren't focusing on the profit level. So profit is the retention of cash. And what it does is give you stability because it gives you runway, time to navigate the bumps and bruises and the unexpected. Above profit is order. Order is the creation of organizational efficiency. I think the ultimate acid test for this, Joe, is if a business does not depend on the owner um, and it can run in their absence, you're starting to achieve organizational efficiency, independency of the owner. The next level above that's impact. Um, your actually organization is fantastic at this, Joe. Impact is where we are not providing a, a transaction, we're providing, providing transformation. You, you are changing people's lives. Uh, another example could be like Harley Davidson. You buy a motorcycle from Harley-Davidson, admittedly, you can buy a motorcycle in a lot of places. But if you buy a Harley-Davidson, 
Now you belong to the community. You're part of the Harley-Davidson family. You're a weekend warrior. It's changed your life. The highest level is called legacy. And legacy is the creation of permanence. What's so fascinating for my research is that business owners that achieve and service the legacy level realize they were never business owners in the first place. They've always been business stewards. They've brought something to life here and it's about the organization, not them. And they are releasing the organization to be ongoing service to the world around them. All right. So that, and, and I love the way, just like with Maslow, you are going um, up into a self-actualization kind of comparison. Right. And, um, and so that's fascinating stuff. And thank you for the compliment, by the way. But what, what are some examples of businesses that are navigating through this process well? And have you seen any that have reached uh, sort of that actualization level in your business layers? Yeah, I, I've seen people touch on it and then I've seen them revert back because just like Maslow's hierarchy, the needs or the circumstances around us will dictate where we move. So this is less of a ladder and more of something that you cycle through. And um, the, in, in, in the questions we need to ask ourselves, is the foundation adequate to support the level above it? So just as a further example, and then I'll give you some businesses, is I could have sales um, that are very small and try to build a massive profitable organization out of that. And it will likely fail because it's similar to building a structure, a very small basement, but I put this massive first floor on it. It's on shaky ground, it'll collapse. But I also see the reverse. Kind of that one example I explained to my friend. He had a massive sales foundation. It's building a huge basement, able to support a skyscraper. But then what he put on top of it when he came to profit was a tool shed and it got sucked right in it. So you have to work this relationally and you cycle through it. One example, um, and I talk about them in the book, there's a company called Cottonwood Coffee. It's owned by a guy named Jacob Limmer, and he is out in South Dakota, owns a couple uh, roast uh, stores out there, plus a roastery. And what was fascinating about him is as he went through the fix this next evaluation, and why well, I told you there's these five stages of, uh, of the business hierarchy of needs. Within them, there's five common core needs for every business. So cumulatively, there's 25 core needs that make up the DNA of business. And you can do a, you know, an examination around this. And he did it. And the results came back and said, you had sales problems. And he said, no, because I've been in business for 13 years. You know, we're doing a lot of money, you know, this is roughly a million dollars in revenue, which for coffee shops ain't too bad. And he's like, I don't have a sales problem. So he ran the exam again and said, you have a sales problem. And uh, specifically this thing called lifestyle congruence. It's one of the core needs in sales. And he, he did it one more time. And uh, finally he, he said, okay, I, it must be this. And he, he did the process and realized that it, he actually needed fewer sales, but of better quality to drive the business forward. And it's been transformational for that coffee shop. What was fascinating was he was stuck in the belief that you, uh, you climb a ladder and as you go up, you never come back down. So it was actually a very difficult uh, emotional consideration, but when he accepted it, he was able to shore up the foundation and strengthen the company. Um, I'll, I'll give you one more quick example. One of my favorite case studies, they're now in three of my books and will probably be in another, is the Savannah Bananas, a baseball team I've been following for years now. Uh, I'm just fascinated by the progress because they're the most successful baseball team in regards to revenue, profitability, and attendance in all of the minor and major leagues. I'm sorry, all the minor and all-star leagues. And in a percentage basis, they're more profitable than some of the major leagues. And um, just fascinating by their study because they are an event-driven business. You got to get people to the stadium and they're the only... Uh, baseball team to physically sell out four consecutive seasons, meaning every game of every season, there's a physical attendance that is in, in excess of seating capacity. 
thousands and thousands, upwards of 5,000 people per game, which is never, it's unheard of for minor leagues. And um, what's interesting now with, with COVID going on, those venues are closed. They are shut down by law. And how are they responding? They've reverted back to the sales level. They're repackaging their offerings. One of the things, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're rolling out, but I was uh, a participant in some of their brainstorming, was, you know what, why don't we still have a game, but each player is going to wear a hazmat uniform, and uh, we're just going to film it, and uh, we're going to be the first baseball team ever to play baseball in hazmat outfits. And uh, I don't know if they're going to execute on this. We're going to see in next month. But stuff like that brings notoriety and exposure to the situation, but in a fun, lighthearted way. And uh, by doing this, this company continues to engage their audience. Um, and people, people will, who've bought season passes are not asking for refunds because they know the Savannah Bananas is going to do something even better or more unique in, in these odd times. So the business hierarchy of needs basically indicates or asks, where is your true need at the moment? Is it sales, meaning you're not creating any cash? Is it profit, meaning you're not retaining the cash? Is it order and so forth? And these companies will bounce around to the area that they need to satisfy next. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I had not heard what the Savannah Bananas were doing. So now I'm going to go check them out. That sound, sounds like they've really got a good <laughs> story there. Good brand. Yeah. yeah so and, uh, Listen, they're in your state. So you got to check them out. Well, absolutely. Well, I grew up watching the Savannah Braves. I grew up in Savannah. So oh. they were the Savannah Braves back then and they did not have nearly that amount of energy. There were plenty of empty seats in the stadium. So, so whoever revolutionized that whole uh, organization, which I'm sure is vastly different uh, since 40 years ago, but um, uh, they've done. It seems like they've done a great job. Um, so let's let's drive this home in the last couple of minutes here. You know, this is an audience of small business advisors. They are always looking for very practical ways they can have a transformative impact on a small business. Toolkits are unfortunately few and far between in the space. Knowledge is abundant. Yeah. Toolkits not so much. Practical application not so much. We try to fill that gap with Woodard Institute. Sounds like you're filling the gap with this. Uh, program that you're uh, offering around your book. But if someone were to read this book and deploy the principles of this book with a client, what are some of the core benefits they will see in that client and how can they make this sort of a daily touch point with that client? Oh, great question. So here's what the typical coach walks into the client. A pre- a conceived notion of what they can solve because that's where their experience is. There's sales coaches and HR coaches and they walk in and say, I can improve your sales situation. or I can show you how to market online and guide you through that. But they aren't first evaluating the situation. That's like a, a brain surgeon just going and say, you know what? I can do brain surgery on you when you actually ha are having a heart attack. They may have a great solution, but it's not applicable. It's not the right solution for the right circumstance. So what, if a advisor reads this and they use this tool, they can go into their client and say, collectively, let's diagnose exactly where your challenge is. Once they pinpoint the challenge, that advisor may have the skill set to fix it and they can do it. Or if they don't, they've pinpointed the challenge and can introduce their network of contacts. By using Fix This Next, our intention is you become the, the first and only resource to go to because you pinpoint the disease and then you can introduce the resources to fix it. But you have the ability that I think very few coaches walk in with the ability to pinpoint exactly what needs to be fixed next. I think that's brilliant. And, and pinpointing that prioritizing that it does take an advisor. When you were talking about, 
the 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 biometric indicators you know from maslow's hierarchy of needs i've got some instinctive things that take place in my body instinctive reactions that take place that are wired into my neurochemistry and into my body um it occurred to me that we're biological and we can be indicators so we can be the biological indicators for the client right from the True. outside we can we can uh in a figuratively speaking pinch them if they have a cash flow problem we can we, you know, and I'm using this uh, metaphorically. I don't want you to actually create a physical pain, but it's almost, <laughs> cool. it's almost like a shock collar, right? You got to hey, look at me for a second. You're about yeah. to run out of cash. Yeah, um, exactly. If not, they will never pay attention until they run out of cash, right? And, and so just imagine that they, that you're the, the, the metaphorical shock collar. And every time that there's going to be a cash flow problem in three or four weeks, they, it kind of goes, bzz, you know, on their, on their neck. And you're that bzz thing that hits them. Uh, what an incredible role to play uh, to keep a small business safe and to protect their journey. Yeah. And, you know, the funny advantage we have, which is just, uh, just by default, the fact is that we're, we don't have ownership in the business is we don't have emotional ownership in the business. Hmm. And if you don't have emotional ownership in the business, you can give a very logical vantage point. You can see through so many of the blind spots that they have. That is a powerful, powerful benefit and can only be done by someone from the outside. Yes. So maintain objectivity, but I would say still have a safe, distanced level of emotional connection to the business. So in other words, care from an objective position so that you stay passionate, and, uh, but you're just passionately focused on the areas that are blind spots to them because they're too close to the ground. And what an institute we have, we, we borrow from a Greek word. I don't get to borrow from my my bachelor's degree in classical Greek very often. So we use it for this, but there's a classical Greek word. It only works in antiquity and it's called paraclete uh, with an L, not like the bird, paraclete. Yeah. And it, there's no exact English translation. Maybe the closest one would be in Yiddish, a maven or, or an advocate in English, but it goes it's so much broader than that. Maven comes closer, but it's, it's one who comes alongside of for the whole of a journey. Mm. And so you don't, you don't displace the owner, you don't become the owner, you stay separate. You're walking alongside of, not instead of. Mm. Uh, it's very different than that sort of codependency model where you're carrying their burdens. You're walking alongside of them as they're carrying their burden for the whole of the journey. You just expanded my uh, verbiage, so thank you. <laughs> Uh, always happy to help. Mike, it's always great to be here. I encourage everybody to go read the book. You can find it on Amazon.com. It's called Fix This Next by Mike McCallowitz. And if you can't spell his last name, that's okay. Start typing it. Google will fill it <laughs> in for find you. It. <laughs> All right, Mike, it was great to have you here. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you. And thank you for tuning in to today's podcast with Mike McCallowitz. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference called Scaling New Heights, visit Woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.